Chapters twenty and twenty one of Rose Mather, a tale by Mary Jane Holmes. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Twenty at the Mather Mansion. It was very lonely at the Mather Mansion after the departure of the soldiers, and it required all Annie's tact to keep Rose from sinking entirely under the sense of desolation which crept over her as she began more and more to realize what the war meant and to tremble for the safety of her husband and her brothers they were still in washington but they might be ordered to advance at any moment and in a tremor of distress rose waited and watched for every mail which could bring her tidings of them next to her husband's letters jimmy's did her the most good for jimmy had in his nature a world of hopefulness and humour and his letters were full of fun and quaint description of the life he was leading and still of the three young men will mather tom carleton and jimmy the latter suffered the most acutely for in addition to his dislike of military life he was compelled to endure the jokes and jeers which the coarser and more unfeeling of his comrades heaped upon him when from bill baker they heard that his first experience in arms-bearing had been learned in the army of the enemy to one of bill's instincts it seemed a great thing that he had captured and brought to washington so illustrious a prisoner as the corporal as he persisted in calling him and the story was repeated with such wonderful additions that jimmy when once by accident he was a listener to the tale failed utterly to recognize himself in the chap who had run so many miles from and then fought so many hours with the redoubtable bill who while annoying his quondam captive so terribly still under all circumstances evinced for him an attachment as singular as it was sincere everything which he could do for jimmy he did becoming literally his servant and drudge and thus saving him from many a hardship which as a private he would otherwise have encountered it was a fancy of jimmy's that by serving as a private in the army against which his hand had once been lifted he should in some way expiate his sin and perhaps be sure of winning favour from annie graham whose blue eyes were constantly before him just as they had looked when in her dress of black she stood in the spring sunshine bidding him good-bye soon after his arrival in washington he had been offered a second lieutenancy in captain carleton's company but he steadily declined the office giving no explanation to any one except his brother and sister rose to whom he wrote perhaps i was foolish to decline the offer and for a moment i was horribly tempted to accept it especially when by doing so i could to some degree escape my thorn in the flesh who notwithstanding that he does me many a kindness annoys me excessively but i could not feel that i deserved that post it ought to belong to someone who had never spurned the old flag and so i stood firm and suggested as a substitute that other sims chap from rockland hophney or phineas or eli hanged if i know what his name is anyway he is that crabbed widow's son that used to pucker her mouth so when she saw that young reb of a carleton and snatch away her gown for fear it should hit me i reckon he'll get the office with its twelve hundred a year which he can use for his mother's support one of her sons you know is married and as good as lost to her while that boy isaac is not long for this world prison life at richmond did the business for him or i'm mistaken so let eli be lieutenant and james carleton only a private do you think i did right and will that paragon of yours mistress graham think so too this was what jimmy wrote to rose after he had been gone for three or four weeks and what rose with her usual impetuous thoughtlessness read to her mother and annie who were both in her room when the letter came annie had made an attempt to leave but rose had insisted that there could be no secret in jimmy's letter if there was she would skip it she said and she read on stumbling dreadfully and mispronouncing words for jimmy's handwriting was never very plain 
and this letter written with a soft lead pencil with a bit of slate-stone for a table was his very worst she made out however that he had declined the office of second lieutenant because he thought he did not deserve it that he had named eli sims as a fitter person for it than himself and that he had called the widow a crab-apple or something like it all this was very clear and after exclaiming against jimmy's morbid sense of justice in one breath and pronouncing him perfectly splendid in another she kept on till she reached the paragon which she rendered pequot making the sentence read will that pequot of yours mistress graham think i did right what did he call me annie exclaimed her face turning very white as she leaned toward rose who startled at her vehemence tried again to make out the word which was strangely distorted from the fact that just as jimmy was writing it his shadow bill had struck him familiarly upon the shoulder saying with a laugh writin to your gal i s'pose give her bill baker's regrets it looks like pequot and some like patagonian rose said deciding at last that it was paragon and adding by way of an explanation to herself of annie's evident surprise you did not like the idea of his calling you a pequot did you annie it wouldn't have meant anything if he had and it was natural that i should make the blunder for that's the name he gave the young girl at the pequot house the one he liked and to whom he passed himself off as dick lee you remember i told you about her yes i remember and annie's voice was a little husky the little girl who was not happy with her aunt and so listened the more willingly to the boy's kind winning words annie did not know why she said that unless it were wrung from her by some sudden and bitter memory of what had been a bright sunspot in her cheerless childhood when the pequot girl was mentioned in her presence once before she had gathered that it was mostly mrs carleton's pride which had taken the boy away from any more rambles on the beach or moonlight sails upon the bay and perhaps it was a desire to defend and excuse the girl which prompted her to advance a reason why dick lee's attentions had been so acceptable she would have given much to recall her words which made mrs carleton dart a quick curious glance at her while rose exclaimed how do you know she was not happy with her aunt did jimmy ever tell you about her never annie replied feeling glad that a servant appeared just at that moment telling rose a little girl was in the kitchen asking to see her it was a daughter of one of the soldiers whose mother was sick and had sent to mrs mather for some little delicacy such calls were frequent at the mather house for the soldiers did not receive their pay regularly and there was much destitution among their families who but for rose's liberality would have suffered far more than they did as freely as water her money was used to relieve their wants and now forgetting jimmy and his pequot she entered at once into the little girl's story and when told that the sick woman had expressed a wish to see her she said i'll go now there's jake just come in i'll have him harness the horses and take you home it must be a mile or more to your house rose usually acted upon her impulses and was soon in her carriage with a huge basket at her feet and the little girl opposite enjoying her ride so much and enjoying it the more for the unmistakable signs of envy and wonder which she detected in the faces of her companions as she neared her humble home in the hollow rose had asked both her mother and annie to accompany her but they had declined and for a time after rose's departure they sat together in perfect silence while a curious train of thought was passing through the minds of each annie's agitation when rose read pequot for paragon had surprised mrs carleton while what she had said of the girl and her aunt had awakened a feeling of disquiet and suspicion mrs carleton was proud of her own and her husband's family proud of her wealth and proud of her position not offensively so but in that quiet assured kind of way so natural to the highly bred bostonian 
it was this pride which had prompted her to resort to so extreme measures with the boy jimmy when she found how much he was interested in the little pequot and when during jimmy's brief stay in rockland she with a mother's quick intuition detected in him signs of interest in annie graham her pride again took fright and she was half glad to have him go from the possible temptation something in the nobler part of the woman's nature told her how wrong the feeling was while each day some new development of annie's gentle christian character made the desolate young creature dearer to her that she was superior to most people in her rank of life mrs carleton knew and she had more than once wondered how one like her had ever become the wife of a mechanic she was not thinking of this however on the afternoon when she was alone with annie while rose was away on her errand of mercy she was thinking rather of the suspicion which had just found a lodgment in her mind and was devising some means of testing its reality to this end she at last made some casual remark about rockland and its people asking if annie had always lived there only since i was married was the reply and mrs carleton continued you seem more like eastern people than like a new yorker were you born in new england yes in connecticut annie said and then mrs carleton made a great blunder by asking next were you born in or near new london i have been there several times and may know your family at mention of new london annie's eyes flashed upon mrs carleton with a startled look as if she felt that there was a deeper meaning in the questioning to which she was being subjected than appeared on the surface and her voice trembled a little as she replied i was born in hartford and lived there till i was eight years old when my parents both died of cholera in one day and i went to live with my aunt in new haven yes mrs carleton answered slowly thus far there was quite as much to prove as there was to disprove the correctness of her surmise and thinking to herself i may as well go further now i have commenced with being rude she continued pardon me mrs graham if i seem inquisitive but i cannot help feeling interested in one to whom rose is so greatly attached and i do not remember that i ever heard any of your history before your husband went to war i do not even know your maiden name annie's heart beat almost audibly and her cheeks were very red as she replied my father was dr howard and i was annie louise howard excuse me mrs carleton if i cannot talk much of my girl life after my parents died it was not a happy one i was wholly dependent upon my aunt who while giving me every advantage in the way of education kept before me so constantly the fact that i was an object of charity that it embittered every moment of my life and when george offered me his love i accepted it gladly finding in him the only real friend i had known since the day i was an orphan annie was crying now and excusing herself she left the parlour and repaired to her own room where her excitement spent itself in tears and sobs as she recalled all the dreadful years when she was subject to the caprices of the most capricious of women who had attempted to force her into a marriage with a millionaire of sixty and had driven her to accept the love which george graham had offered her george had not been her equal in an intellectual point of view and none knew this fact better than annie herself but he was the kindest tenderest of husbands and she had loved him devotedly for the manly virtues which made him the noble and selfish man he was captain carleton and jimmy both could sympathize with her tastes and inclinations far better than george had done but never once during her brief married life had she allowed herself to wonder what her lot might have been had it been cast with people like the carletons 
and since her husband's death anything which looked away from that grave by the churchyard gate seemed so terrible to her that now as she recalled mrs carleton's questionings and guessed what had prompted them every nerve quivered with pain which could only be soothed by a visit to george's grave there on the turf which covered him she had wept out many a grief and she started for it now the villagers watching her as she passed their doors and curiously speculating as people will upon the time to come when the long black dress and graceful girlish form would not be so often seen among the rockland dead already the gossips of the town were coupling her name with the carletons the majority giving her to tom the elder and more worthy of the two a whisper of this gossip had been borne to mrs carleton who while pretending to ignore it had felt troubled as she recalled all the incidents of jimmy's visit at home then when the suspicion came to her that the woman whom rose had taken into her household was possibly identical with the girl of new london whose name she could not remember she felt for a moment greatly disturbed there was a fierce struggle with her pride a close reasoning with herself and then her better nature triumphed and her heart went out very kindly toward poor annie at that moment standing by her husband's grave and wondering why her thoughts would keep straying away to the wayward young man who had been a traitor to his country but was trying to atone by voluntarily bearing the hardships of a private's life when a better was offered him he had asked if she would think he did right and the question had shown that he cared for her good opinion yes she did think he was right and she resolved to send him a message to that effect when rose wrote to him next there was no wrong to the dead in the thought and her tears dropped just as fast upon the marble as she stood to kiss the name cut upon it and then left the silent graveyard meantime rose had visited her sick woman in the hollow had fed the hungry children and dropped upon the floor the six weeks baby which she tried to hold then gathering her shawl about her and holding up her skirts just as she always did when in the homes of the poor she re-entered her carriage and bade jake drive her next to widow sims everything there was neat and clean as soap and sand and the widow's two hands could make it while susan made a very pretty picture in her dark stuff gown with a scarlet velvet ribbon in her black hair there was a saucer of english violets on the round deal table and their sweet perfume filled the room into which rose came dancing her eyes shining like stars and her cheeks so brilliant a colour that the widow began directly to wonder if there wasn't some paint there the widow was not in her best mood for she was very tired having done a heavy washing in the morning before rose mather had thought of opening her bright eyes then after the coarser larger pieces were dried and ironed she had tried to spin a work to which she clung as tenaciously as if on every stream in new england there was not a cotton or woollen factory capable of doing the work so much easier and better than herself the widow was fond of spinning and she had turned the wheel with a right good will until isaac had complained that the continuous humming hurt his head and made him think of the wind as it howled so dismally around the dreary prison in richmond libby they called it now and isaac always shuddered when he heard the name and thought of what he suffered there isaac was very weak and pale and his face looked like that of some young girl as he lay among his pillows in the pretty dressing-gown which rose had bought and annie had made for him he was sleeping when rose came in and the widow's shh came warningly as a greeting but came too late for rose's blithesome voice had roused him and his glad welcoming smile more than counterbalanced the frown which settled on the widow's face when she saw her boy disturbed rose was accustomed to the widow's ways and throwing off her shawl and untying her hat she sat down on the foot of isaac's bed and drawing jimmy's letter from her pocket she began i've got such splendid news for you mrs sims at least i think i have 
yes i know it's sure to come true eli is going to be a lieutenant with twelve hundred dollars a year such a heap of money for him and it's all jimmy's doings too he would not have the office because he did not think he deserved it listen to what he says both the widow and susan were close to rose now the frown all gone from the widow's brow and the pucker from her mouth but both came back in a trice as blundering rose read on about huffney and phineas and eli till she came to the crabbed which she called crab-apple and then stopped short her face a perfect blaze as she tried to apologize take worth while to soap it over the widow said fiercely i be a crab-apple i s'pose and a gnarly one at that but i am as i was made and i'd like to know if crabs wasn't as good as secessioners please mother never mind isaac said pleadingly and his voice always quieted the fiery woman who listened while rose read of eli's good fortune and made another terrible mistake by stumbling upon jimmy's opinion of isaac's sickness she only read he is not long for this world but that was enough to bring a flush to his brow and blanch his mother's cheek while with a gush of tears rose hid her face in susan's lap and sobbed i wish i had not come i'm always doing wrong when i mean to do the best oh i wish the war had never been and i don't believe isaac is so sick jimmy has no right to judge he don't know rose's distress was too genuine not to touch the widow who tried to appear calm and unconcerned and even said something kind of jimmy who had so generously preferred eli to himself but there was a restraint over everything and after a few awkward attempts at something like natural conversation rose bade a hasty good-bye and went out from the house to which she had brought more sorrow than joy twenty one not long for this world the sick boy whispered the words a great many times to himself as with his face to the wall where neither his mother nor susan could see it he thought of what rose had read and wondered if it were true he was not afraid to die he had been very near death once before and had not shrunk from meeting it as death it was only the dying from home he had dreaded so much asking to live till he could see his mother again and the grass growing by the cottage door and the violets by the well and god had taken him at his word he had lived to see his mother to feel the touch of her rough hands upon his hair to hear her voice always kind to him calling him her ikey boy to see the green grass by the door and the violets by the well but this alas did not suffice he wanted to live longer live to be a man like eli and john live to do good live to take care of his mother live to hear the notes of victory borne on the northern breeze as the federal flag floated again over land and sea all this was worth living for and isaac was young to die only nineteen and looking three years younger it was very hard and the dark eyelashes closed tightly to keep back the tears as the white lips tried to pray thy will be done that was what they meant to utter but there came instead the first words of the prayer the saviour taught our father that was all but the very name of father brought a deep peace into isaac's heart god was his father and he had nothing to fear living or dying it would be well with the boy who would not tell a lie even for promotion and so while the mother whose heart ached and throbbed with this new fear and still found time to fill a thrill of pride in lieutenant eli moved softly around the room preparing the dainty supper for her child isaac slept peacefully nor woke until the delicate repast was ready and waiting for him on the little table by the bed 
there was spiced chocolate to-night and nice cream toast with grape jelly and a bit of cold baked chicken and the highly seasoned cucumber pickles isaac had craved so much since his return and which the physician said were good for him and the best china cup was brought out and the silver spoons marked with the widow's maiden name and a white napkin was on the tray and isaac who enjoyed such things knew why it was all done that particular night just as the widow knew why at bedtime he asked susan to read from revelation chapter seven verse sixteen they shall hunger no more neither thirst any more neither shall the sun light on them nor any heat for the lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters and god shall wipe away all tears from their eyes he was thinking of his heavenly home while the mother was thinking of the time when he who jimmy carleton had said was not long for earth would be gone and she could no longer do for him the little offices which gave her so much comfort since the dreadful days when she knew her boy was in prison the widow had not felt so keen a pang as that which stirred her heart-strings now when alone in her room she dropped in her quick defiant way into the high-backed chair and sitting stiff and straight tried to face the future it could not be that isaac had only come home to die god would not deal thus harshly with her he had spared eli and john he had promoted them both and he would not take isaac from her the boy was getting better he was mending every day or at least she had thought so until rose mather came with her message of evil why could not rose have stayed at home why need she come there and leave such a sting behind the widow was growing very hard and wicked toward poor little thoughtless rose and her heart lay like a stone in her bosom as for an hour or more she sat in her high-backed chair thinking of the boy whose low breathing she could hear from the next room he was sleeping she thought and she would steal softly to his side and see if it was written on his face that his days were numbered but isaac was not asleep and he knew the moment his mother bent over him and turning toward her he whispered i know why you are up so late mother and what you are here for you are thinking of what mrs carleton said and wondering if it is true i guess tis mother for i don't get any stronger and my cough hurts me so but i'm not a bit afraid to die now with you beside me up to the very last minute in richmond it was different and i prayed so hard that god would let me come back if only to drink from the well and then die on the grass beside it he did let me come and now we mustn't say anything if he does not let me stay but a little bit of a while i've been thinking it over since mrs mather went away and at first it seemed hard that eli and john should have such good luck and only stub to be the one to suffer he said this last playfully using his old nickname stub because he saw by the dim light burning on the table the bitter look of anguish upon his mother's face and he would fain remove it at the mention of the name which her more stalwart sons had given to her baby the widow's chin quivered and her rough hand smoothed the thin light hair but she did not speak and isaac went on then too i want to live till the war is over i want to hear the joyful shouts and see the bonfires they will kindle in the streets there's a big box in the barn i hid it there the morning i went away and i said when the peace comes we can burn that box and mother will look out from the window and the church bells will ring and there'll be such rejoicings now i most know i shan't be here to see it but mother you'll burn the box you and susan with eli and john and you'll think of me who did what i could to bring the peace 
there was a choking sound like the swallowing of a great sob and that was all the answer the widow made only her hands moved faster through the threads of light brown hair and her rigid form sat up straighter more rigid than ever she was suffering the fiercest pang she would ever know for she was giving isaac up she was coming to the knowledge that he was really going from her that jimmy carleton was right and isaac was not long for this world when at last her mind reached that point the tension of nerve gave way for a little and her hot tears poured over the white face she kissed so tenderly the moon was looking in at the low west window ere the widow went back to her own bed and isaac nestling down among his pillows fell away to sleep dreaming of the bonfire in the street when the hidden box was burned and dreaming too of that other world which lies so near this that he could almost see the loving hand stretched out to welcome him after that night the widow's mouth shut together more firmly than ever and the frown between her eyes was more marked and decided while her manner to all save isaac and annie graham was sharper and crisper than before when eli's letter came telling of his promotion and lauding jimmy carleton whose generous act was a byword in the company her face relaxed a little and she said to annie graham the lord is good to my two oldest boys but if he'd give me isaac i wouldn't care for all the titles in christendom as the warm weather came on isaac did not get up any more to sit by the open door but lay all day on his bed sometimes sleeping sometimes thinking and sometimes listening while annie read to him from the bible isaac was very fond of annie she had been george graham's wife and he evinced so much desire to have her constantly with him that at last she stayed altogether with mrs sims only going occasionally to the mather mansion where they missed her so much rose was nothing without her and at first opposed her going to the widow sims if help was needed she said she would hire someone for annie must not tire herself out just as she was beginning to grow plump and beautiful again but when isaac said to her please let mrs graham come it will not be long she'll have to stay and she is so full of hope and faith that it makes me more willing to die and to go away alone across the jordan she withdrew her opposition and annie was free to go and come as she liked it suited annie to get away from the mather mansion just then for she could not help feeling that there was a purpose in mrs carleton's questioning her of her early history and she hailed any excuse which removed her from the scrutiny with which since that conversation touching her early home and maiden name mrs carleton had evidently regarded her jimmy had written to her once enclosing the unsealed note in a letter to rose and annie's cheeks had been all ablaze as she read it for she knew the mother's eyes were fastened upon her it was nothing but a simple acknowledgment of some article annie had made and sent to him in a box filled for all three of the soldiers will mather tom and jimmy there was also mention made of annie's kindly message to the intent that she did think he was right in giving the office to eli and a wish expressed that she would write to him you don't know how much good letters from home do such scamps as we privates are or how we need something from the civilized world to keep us from turning heathens tom too had sent thanks to annie graham for the needle-book made for him but he did not write to her though every letter had in it more or less of mrs graham and mrs carleton while saying to herself both my boys have fallen under the spell felt her pride gradually giving way and her heart growing warmer toward the woman whom she missed so much during the week spent at isaac's bedside they were not many for when the dry days of august came on and the grass withered by the door and the flowers drooped for want of rain and the sun rose each morning redder hotter than on the previous day the sick boy began to fail rapidly 
and one night just as the wind was beginning to blow from the west where a bank of dark clouds was lying he whispered to annie call mother and susan for i know i'm going now the widow was in the back yard putting out the barrels and tubs to catch the rain if it came for the well and the cistern were nearly dry just as her dim eyes were when a few minutes after she bent over her boy and saw the change coming so rapidly she could not weep and susan's sobs annoyed her twas like them rugglesses to go into hysterics and make a fuss she thought with a kind of bitter scorn for her daughter-in-law who loved isaac as a brother and wept that he was leaving them perhaps the dying boy detected the feeling for he said feebly go out susan and mrs graham both i want to be alone with mother a minute then when they were alone he said i am dying mother and i know you won't be angry at what i say i want you to be kind to susan and pet her some and love her for john's sake she is a good girl and mr carleton's good too the one they call jimmy i mean don't say harsh things of him because he was once a rebel don't speak against him to mrs graham maybe she will like him some time and if so help her mother instead of hindering it jimmy carleton on his lone picket watch that night on the banks of the potomac and thinking alas more of a black-robed figure with braids of pale brown hair than of a lurking foe little dreamed of the good words spoken for him by the dying boy whose eyes turned lovingly to annie when she came back to him and held his clammy hand it is not dark it is not hard i am not afraid for the saviour is with me he kept repeating and then he sent messages to his absent brothers to captain tom carleton who had been so kind to him in prison and to jimmy too and all the boys who had been with him in battle and then just as the wind began to roar down the chimney and the refreshing rain to beat against the windows isaac's spirit went out into the great unknown expanse beyond this life and only the pale emaciated body was left in the humble room where the lone woman stood looking upon the boyish face which seemed so young in death the widow uttered no sound when she knew he was dead and it was her hand which drew the covering decently about him and then picked up from the floor a loose feather which had dropped from the worn pillow susan must speak to their next-door neighbours she said and ask them to care for the body then when the men came in she remembered an open window in the back chamber where the rain must be driving in and stole up there on the pretence of shutting it but she did not return till the men were gone and isaac was lying on the calico-covered lounge with a look of perfect peace upon his face and the damp night air blowing softly across his light hair kneeling at his side and laying her hard cheek against the icy face of her last-born the mother gave vent to her grief in her own peculiar way there were no tears or sobs but loving tender cooing words whispered over the boy as if he had been a living baby instead of a soldier dead and yet the fact that it was a soldier lying there before her was never lost sight of and the bitter part of the woman's nature was stirred to its very depths as she remembered what had brought her boy to this it was the war and fierce were the mental denunciations against those who had stirred up the strife while with the bitterness came pitying thoughts of the poor boys who died in the lonely hospitals or on the battlefields and with her cheek still resting against the pale clammy one and her fingers threading the light hair the widow vowed that all she was and all she had should henceforth be given to the war she would work for the soldiers give to the soldiers deny herself food and raiment for the soldiers ay even die for them if need be 
and whispering the vow into her dead boy's ear she left him there alone just as the early summer dawn was breaking and when next morning her friends came in to see her they found her sitting by the body and working upon the shirt she had a few days before taken from the aid society to make for some poor wretch she should not wear mourning she said she had other uses for her money and so the leghorn of many years date with the old faded green veil followed isaac sims to the grave and the widow's face was still and stony as if cut from solid marble they made him a great funeral too though not so great as george graham's had been for isaac was not the second nor the third nor the fourth soldier buried in rocklands churchyard but he was isaac sims little ike stubb whom everybody liked and so the firemen came out to do him honour and the rockland guards and the company of young lads who were beginning to drill and the boys from the academy and rose mather was chief directress and her carriage carried the widow and susan and annie and herself up to the newly made grave where they left the boy who once had sawed wood for the little lady now paying him such honour the war was a great leveller of rank bringing together in one common cause the high and the low the rich and the poor and in no one was this more strikingly seen than in the case of rose mather who utterly forgetful of the days when as rose carleton of boston she would scarcely have deigned to notice such as the widow sims now sought in so many ways to comfort the stricken woman going every day to her humble home and once coaxing her to spend a day at the mather mansion together with susan whom rose secretly thought a little insipid and dull susan's husband was alive and in the full flush of prosperity so susan did not need sympathy but the widow did and rose got her up to the great house as the widow called it and ordered a most elaborate dinner with soups and fish and roasts and salads prepared with oil which turned the widow's stomach and ices and chocolate and charlotte russe and nuts and fruit and coffee served in cups the size of an acorn the widow thought as very red in the face and perspiring at every pore she went through the dreadful dinner which lasted nearly three hours and left her at its conclusion weak as water and sweatin like rain as she whispered to annie who took the tired woman for a few moments into her own room and listened patiently to the comments upon the grand dinner which had so nearly been the death of her susan on the contrary enjoyed it it was her first glimpse of life among the very wealthy and while her mother-in-law was wondering how annie could stand such doin's every day and especially that bombable soup and still was salute susan was thinking how she should like to live in just such style and wondering if when john came home with his wages all saved she could not set up housekeeping somewhat on the mather order at least she would have those little coffees after dinner though she doubted john's willingness to sit quietly until the coffee was reached it was a long day to the widow and the happiest part of it was the going home by the cemetery where she stopped at isaac's grave and bending over the turf murmured her tender words of love and sorrow for the boy who slept beneath there was a plan forming in the widow's mind and it came out at last to annie who was visiting her one day the hospitals were full to overflowing and the cry all along the lines was for more help to care for the sick and dying and the widow was going as nurse either in the hospital or in the field she would prefer the latter she said for only folks with pluck could stand it there and annie encouraged her to go and even talked of going too but the first suggestion of the plan brought such a storm of opposition from rose that for a little time longer annie yielded resolving however that ere long she would break away and take her place where she felt that she could do more good than she was doing in rockland End of chapters twenty and twenty one